and welcome to You Lost Me at Namaste. I'm your host and well-being alchemist, Michelle Schoenfeld, and I am so excited to share this episode with you today in honor of International Women's Day and Women's History Month. So you might be wondering, how is that in alignment with this show, which is a well-being show, holistic wellness, spirituality, the real world level? Well, from time to time, I bring on a guest to share their story, somebody who I find incredibly motivating or inspiring, who has really thrived in the face of adversity, and who I think could just offer a really hopeful, positive, yummy message to all of us out there. And today's guest is such a woman. She is just inspiring to me every single day. I've known her for years. You will find out why later in the show, in the interview, as to why and how. I'm not going to give that away. You'll have to listen to find out. (laughs) Um, And I don't want to give too much away because I want you to listen to her. But I just wanted to set it up a little bit and tell you some things that she doesn't tell about herself in the interview. And part of the reason I chose her. First of all, she is one of the strongest women I have ever met and has been faced with adversity from a very young age. She lost a lot of her vision starting at the age of four and most of her useful vision later in life, but she never let it keep her down. She traveled around the country as a child with her father, who is a world-famous ornithologist, and helped him band birds and learned how to recognize birds by the songs they sang, which is really important. You know, when you um, lose one of your senses, they say that your other ones, you develop even stronger. And I would say that's definitely the case with her. And she also became a single mom at the age of 19, but it didn't stop her. She went on to school and got two advanced degrees. And she actually went to the Sorbonne in Paris and lived there for a while and played guitar in the metro, the subway system to help make money so she could afford to seriously to eat as, as she shares. Um, And just really has recreated herself several times throughout her life to keep going, to help her get closer to her life's purpose, to live in alignment, and to really experience everything that life has to give us. Um, I will say that she is probably the most cheerful and half full person, human I've ever met in my life. She is always smiling and giggling no matter what. And when I can tell you there have been things to keep her down and she does not let them from pretty serious health concerns. Um, you know, I'm not going to give any away because you're going to listen to the interview. It's coming up next. I hope you are as inspired as I am to learn about this wonderful performance poet. I will sh- say that she is a bit shy And so I'm doing my best to pull out of her all the stories that I've heard over the years that I love. So this will just be a quick little glimpse into some things that I think you'll enjoy. So let's join the interview now. Please welcome to You Lost Me at Namaste, Rhonda Lee. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you. And hello, everyone. (laughs) It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I know you were on when this was done as a radio show for the Eaton Workshop in Washington, D.C. about two years ago. So it is thrilling to have you back on. How are you today? Fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) So the the reason I wanted to have you on today is because you 
have definitely had an interesting story. You've had a long journey and you um, have really had to kind of pivot multiple times throughout your life. And with some really, um, really tough stuff that a lot of people would bury their head in the sand. And you just always come out of it with shining colors, um, sparks flying. And, but it doesn't mean it's always been easy. Um, you know, you lost the majority of your useful vision, I guess, around 45. Is that correct? Yes. So you had to learn to kind of navigate the world all over again. It's basically putting a blindfold on you at 45 and saying, okay, go live your life. Right. And, and keep your job. <laughs> and keep your job as a writer, as a writer, an editor. So maybe just give us a quick little background on um, your on, on your vision, on like how this all happened going back to childhood. Just give us a quick short version. I wasn't born with cataracts, but I had them by the time I started school. And um, um, when I was four years old, my um, sister Susan was born, and my mother got really sick. So she sent me to stay with her aunt. No, my aunt. <laughs> she sent her to stay with my aunt, um, and I had an experience there that I'll maybe talk about later um, that led to the poem that uh, I have for you today. But I didn't know um, anything about that until last year. During the pandemic, um, a Zoom Braille discussion group that I was in went to every week, meeting every week. And so last year, I learned about um, visual hallucinations that are named um, Charles Bonnet syndrome. So before we go into that, really what I would like you to just kind of share is, so you were born, could you see when you were born? I remember being able to see very clearly. And then about what age did you use or did your vision start to deteriorate when I was four when you were four yeah and so then from the time you were four until about 45 you were legally blind I yeah I had low vision but I could still put my nose in a book and ride a bicycle yeah just yeah. like not driving and right not, yeah um, no I never could drive or right and then at 45 mm-hmm. you lost the rest of your useful vision and then had to kind of re-navigate the world as a blind person, yes, not knowing Braille, not knowing how to use a cane, not knowing like really how to do anything to take care of yourself, yet you had to take care of yourself. You're the only one. So you had to figure all this out at the age of 45 while you're working, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. So, okay, so go back. So you're four years old and you are staying with your aunt. aunt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And um, I was in my cousin's room. That's where they had room for me at night was in my cousin's room. And I could see apple trees dancing across the ceiling in an arc. They were very bright, um, green, bright green leaves, bright red apples, and they had little slipper feet so that they could move. And they had smiles. They had big smiles. <laughs> Sounds like something out of Fantasia. <laughs> and... I was very distressed because my cousin could not see them. And when I got home, I complained to my parents that 
I had had I'd seen these wonderful apple trees dancing across the ceiling, and Charles could not see them. And this is, you know, we had no television until I was 18, and then it was black and white, so it wasn't based on anything that I'd ever seen. But you do have to have seen. You can't be blind from birth to have visual hallucinations. So you'd had these your whole life, um, and then you just discovered this past year that it's actually something that other people experience. Is that correct? And there's a name for it. That was what was really wild. Um, a friend in my Braille, my weekly Braille discussion group, confided in us that she had woken up in her private room in the nursing home, surrounded by people, and then the people who are all around her bed followed her into the bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how our group got talking about Charles Bonnet syndrome and many of the um, people in, in this discussion group because becoming blind later in life had knew that they had Charles Bonnet syndrome. I had never heard of it before. So th for those of you listening, obviously that's what we're going to talk about today, a little bit of Charles Bonnet syndrome. Um, we're leading up to it, but now you hear firsthand. So... Um, I joined a group of blind poets called Behind Our Eyes, and we have a, a virtual open mic poetry reading once a month, and you can do a poem that's 30 lines or less. So I dusted off some of my old poems, and one of them I discovered that I had done in 2000 for a radio um, fundraiser for community radio, I realized right away going through it again that the poem I had written in 2000 completely celebrated Charles Bonnet syndrome. So that 23 was. years ago, basically, you wrote this poem that now describes yeah. what Charles Bonnet syndrome so, is. So I revised it just a tiny little bit. It didn't need much revision at all. And uh, then how I how I quote-unquote read poetry as I memorize it. Um, well, would you mind doing that for us now? We'd love to hear it. <laughs> okay, there's an epigraph that introduces the poem. In 1760, Swiss philosopher Charles Bonnet first reported visual hallucinations experienced by his grandfather who was blind due to cataracts. Two centuries later, Swiss scientist George de Morsier labeled the condition Charles Bonnet syndrome. Since then, case examples have been described in the ophthalmology and psychiatry literature, and that's from Tiffany Jan and Jorge del Castillo, Visual Hallucinations, Charles Bonnet Syndrome, December 2012. And the poem is titled Long Enough by Rhonda Lee. From the Poetry Buzz, an oral yearful CD, 2000. 
Oh, Rhonda, the caller exclaims. Words just fly out of my head these days. I'm glad I've known you long enough I can still remember your name. Her laughter in my left ear makes me smile at my computer screen. I was just thinking along those lines, I assure her. Rolling out a paper towel, I was glad I had used that tan dispenser long before it vanished in the ivory wall. Beiges and putties were the first to go, pale northern pedestrians who fade into the sidewalk, followed by blues and grays, turquoise and rose. The outfit I wore today that I thought was all gray turned out to be a lavender shirt, an olive skirt. At least my socks were gray. Another fashion faux pas. I still enjoy a panoramic coral dawn, an azure day. Anything less has disappeared. I savor the double rainbow you describe through the words you choose from your delight. What if even black and white dissolve, putting penguins and pandas and orcas in peril? I see with eyes closed. Even in dreams can retrieve any color you please, unfurling silk scarves from my invisible sleeves. Oh, wow, that was beautiful. Really beautiful. I know the first time I heard you perform that was probably about 20 years ago to a group, and there wasn't a dry eye in the bunch because it was just the idea of imagining, you know, what it would be like to have to get yourself dressed every day and figure out what you're wearing and not knowing does this work or not work. You know, it just, it's just, um, it, it's really amazing, and you always have such a positive attitude. Um, and I know that's not even the point of this. The point of this is, wow, are you an amazing performance poet? <laughs> and for those of you listening know that like she has no notes. She's, as she said, doing this, um, it's all memorized because obviously she can't see the paper. Um, and it, it's really beautiful. It's really heartfelt. Um, so Charles Bonnet syndrome, again, is, is visual hallucinations, right? It's the mind uh, creating images that aren't there from... Um, things you've had in the past from memory? You, you have to have seen. So people who were born blind can't experience these, um, yeah. these hallucinations. I remember once when you said, uh, as your, the longer it was after losing your useful vision, that you don't see like individual blades of grass anymore in your dreams. It's more like a cartoon. Is like green, but not the individual blades and how that's changed over time. It's really interesting how the mind works on this. Anybody who's interested and wants to know more about Charles Bonnet syndrome, you had mentioned there's a TED Talk on this? Oliver Sacks has a wonderful TED Talk. He, he goes into the details of what Charles Bonnet reported in 1760 about the visual hallucinations his grandfather had experienced. And he also goes into his own Charles Bonnet syndrome. He describes his own Charles Bonnet syndrome. So that's a TED Talk by 
Oliver Sacks. So for anybody who's interested, I will put a link in the show notes and you can watch or listen to that for yourself. Ah, oh, okay. So that was beautiful. Um, I want to ask you, where do you find your inspiration for your poems? Oh, um, a lot are taken from, uh, I, most of my poems are about my scientist father. <laughs> um, so that's a lot of the inspiration. But um, I also um, was inspired by people at the feminist bookstore that I worked at to warm up February. So we concocted a love and lust poetry reading that went for ran for 17 years and and ended up in a on a, a poetry anthology. So a lot of that was what can I do to warm up February? So. <laughs> At the University of Wisconsin, I'm sure, very yeah. cold. Do you have a favorite poem? Um, that's a really, that's a really good, that's a really good question. I have one about the quality of light that soothes me. Yes, that soothes you. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So I, I really... I really like that poem for personal reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going back to your father a little bit, he wasn't just a scientist. He was a world-class ornithologist who was all over the world throughout his career. Really, I can see why he would have been inspiring to you. Yeah. And I guess as the oldest of five, you probably spent a lot of time with him. <laughs> I, I was more comfortable with birds growing up than with people. Right, and that was his specialty, was birds all yeah. around the world. So my job was to untangle birds from a mist net when he was banding birds, and you couldn't, like, you know, so one of the lyrics of, or one of the, yeah, one of the, it's not a song, but one of the lines in my poetry is, never score a feather or sever a strand of fiber. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You have another short poem that you have done for this group, and I love it. It's such a happy poem, and the reason I like it so much is because I think it's really interesting. For anybody, I'm going to ask if you'll do um, Kia for us today, and would you do that one for us? I would love to do that. Okay, I'll tell, the reason I'm asking you to do it is, for those of you listening, I would love you to close your eyes while you listen to this poem. It's very short, less than 30 lines, and it's a happy poem. And if you close your eyes, see if you can kind of awaken your other senses and see if you can tell, wow, how this was written by somebody who actually can't see the differences it might make. So um, before I go any further, please share with us. Okay, this is true. This is true. And it's titled, the, the title of the poem is a name, and the name is Kia, K-E-I-Y-A. She kisses me by my right ear, soft on my cheek. An earnest kiss stolen over the shoulder of a boy hugging her fiercely. Dark eyes glisten, search mine for approval. She smells of sun-warmed earth and dry leaves, nothing that ever flowed from a bottle or has to do with soap and water. I thought she would be more 
bristly. But then, this is the first time I've ever been kissed by an Arctic wolf. I love that so much. It's one of my favorites because I just, I feel it, right? I feel this like nose on my cheek or like this, the smell, like the way you describe it is so wonderful. And you said this is a true story. How did this happen that you're kissed by an Arctic wolf? (laughs) Well, she was from the Minnesota um, Wolf Center and she was a goodwill ambassador at my uncle uh, Chuck Jonkel's International Wildlife Film Festival. So I went to Children's Day and got to meet Kia. Now, was this in Montana? Oh, I'm sorry. This is in Missoula, Montana. In Missoula, Montana. Wonderful. And and it ran for many years. I went every year and brought back some films to show in my my town in Madison, Wisconsin. I wasn't sure um, if if this maybe happened on your trip to the Arctic, because you took Mm -hmm. a trip to the Arctic. So he wasn't just, he's the brother, by the way, of her father, who's the world-class ornithologist, George Jonkel. His brother is Chuck Jonkel, Charles Jonkel, who is a world-famous bear biologist and uh, did movies with Jacques Cousteau, and his specialty was polar bears. So you had the opportunity uh, as an adult in your 50s probably, maybe 60s, right, to go to the Arctic with him. I took his winter class on how to be a citizen of North America, and it was most, most amazing. We went on the train up to Churchill, Manitoba, in the winter, and we're surrounded by polar bears. <laughs> that is truly amazing. So let's see, you also um, played guitar in the subway in Paris to put yourself through school at the Sorbonne. That's how I ate, yeah, that's how I ate. <laughs> and then you go to the Arctic in the middle of winter with polar bears, and you can't see. And it's just amazing. You're truly, truly inspiring. And But one of the things, another thing that I just love about you is that you just always seem happy. You always seem upbeat. And, you know, life has given you a lot of things that, like, like I said, other people would maybe put their head in the sand. And every time I have had the opportunity to speak with you on the phone or see you in person, you have a big smile on your face. And you can hear it in your voice how happy you are. What's your secret? Um, I... Uh was going through a kind of a rough spot in my life when I went to Paris. And I felt like, you know, it was just me all alone in a country that, you know, spoke other languages, many other languages. Um, And I didn't like myself. So I decided that I was going to, I wanted to be somebody um, that I liked. Oh, I love this. <laughs> and the same was true about the poetry that I had been writing. I had been writing poetry that was academic. So, you know, write a sonnet, write a crown of sonnets, and you know, write it in French. And it was horrible. It was horrible and, you know, sad and boring. And <laughs> and and I started going to open mic poetry readings, and, and, I, and it was gypsy poets. Um, who just you know wrote about whatever they wanted to and and I wa- I started writing poetry that was like the poems that I like to hear. That makes a big difference. Yeah, it's like they say, write what you know or write what yeah. you like. That yeah. makes a big difference. So that was kind of pivotal for you. Yeah, 
Um, and then just on a daily basis, like getting through like lockdown and COVID and cold, you know, icy winters in Wisconsin where you can't leave your house for days on end. What is your secret for that, for staying so upbeat and motivated and making phone appointments? (laughs) (laughs) I have, you know, many because of COVID, I have many Zoom meetings, you know, that formed, which have been lifesavers, a book group, braille groups, um, you know, discussion groups on on just about any topic. But on Thursday night, a friend reads me poems. And on Friday night, I talk to a friend who's had a bunch of surgery until she falls asleep. Right. Yeah. I'm inspired by how active you stay with your mind, to be honest, I think is what keeps you so young and vibrant because you do you read so many books. In fact, how many books are on your list right now? <laughs> 97. I can, if I have a, if I have a hundred, then it like stops letting me, I can't add any more. So. Right. So you're always reading books and learning new things. And I love, it's like science fiction. It's a memoir. It's a, like, you know, inspiring story. Like you are all over the place in what you read. And I love that. It's like you just keep going and going and going anytime. I learn things every time I speak to you. And it's always from something you read. I think that's really valuable. And of course, right, that human connection. You know, so it's like you can't get out like you used to, but you can have the Zoom. And that's still human connection with other people who are like-minded from around the country. I think that's beautiful. I can't even imagine how difficult it was to navigate Zoom for the first time when you couldn't see what you were doing. Bravo on that one. I have to, pra- I, I call in, but I have to practice the numbers and then the meeting ID and then the passcode. I have to practice that so I don't time out. Oh my gosh, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so just to keep, since season six, we are dedicated to biohacking. Let's tie it in, a biohack here. What is your favorite biohack? Since I fell on the ice, my favorite biohack is yoga. When was that? When did you fall? I'm sorry to hear that. I think it was 2010. 2010. Okay, so for 13 years. And my physical therapist taught me yoga that would keep my L5 in place, um, stretches, and she had me feel her doing it. And then when I came back, she would correct me so I was actually doing it, you know, properly. And... Every week she'd add something more. She'd say, well, now you're going to also walk upstairs backwards because that improves the, you know, muscles around your lower back. But so you would say yoga then. Yeah. Yoga is your favorite biohack. And it's, I've heard you say it's kind of your non-negotiable, right? It's something that you do every morning. I do it every morning. I, I, I never was happy with yoga because they'd say, okay, do this. And you're (laughs) like, what is this? I can't see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... Um, I never was really motivated to to do yoga because of that. But now that I have a repertoire of, you know, good positive yoga stretches and 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 strengthening movements. Yeah, movements and and relaxation poses. I do it every morning because I feel better. <laughs> Right, the end of the day, that's what it's about. Yeah, it's easy to be motivated to do something when that makes you feel better. I know you've said, well, I have have to be at the airport at 6.30 for a flight, so I better start my yoga at like 3 or whatever. 4.30, yeah, 4.30. How long is your practice? 
An hour and a half. An hour and a half. Yeah. Wow. That's mm-hmm. inspiring for sure. Well, it definitely is working because you look amazing, you're strong, and you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> it really makes a, it's really made a big difference in my life. But I'm I'm not I'm not a good um, I'm not a good example for other people because I tell people like how much I um, how much I benefit by putting my hands on the different kinds of bones in my face, you know, that will like align you and get you, you know. That's very helpful. But 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 then they go, okay, that's nice that that works for you, you know. Well, they're just not awake <laughs> enough. And people listening to this podcast know that that works. It's part of the whole energy meridians and tapping. And um, we know that this works, right? It's the same that like acupuncturists use to improve our health. And we know that that's real because medical insurance is paying for it. It's very mainstream now, acupuncture. And putting your hands on your face and the bones is the same way as you're activating different energy meridians that do fall in your face. And it's the same thing that tapping does. There's different places above your eyebrows, your cheekbones, above your lip, the side of your temples, you know, under your nose, on your chin, your jawline. Our face has so many really important energy points that can help with our wellness well-being. So by you doing that, without knowing that even, it's innate. I, I used to feel like I was crawling out of my skin all the time. And I want everybody to feel as good as I feel now. So I'm not stopping, push, I'm you know, still pushing it when it comes up. When somebody right. says they're going through like a really hard time, and then I say, well, try this. And the last person I did that with, it was it went a little bit better because she says, my mother used to do that for me. Aww. My mother used to put her hands like that. Well, if you think about babies, we can soothe babies by like kind of gently rubbing their forehead, right? Gently rubbing a baby's forehead usually can put them to sleep, and it's soothing. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we're just not taught. There's a lot of things that have been lost over the ages that have been around for thousands of years that are really important to our, our mental health and our well-being, which is really all biohacking is, right? It's things that we can do to improve our well-being and our wellness that are free and natural and there for us. We just have to remember how to do them. So I love that you shared that. I haven't heard you say that before. Thank you for that. Um, and it's true when you think about if you visualize people praying, they very often will put their hands on their face. Right? I've seen Muslim women do this. I've seen Muslim men do this. I've seen Jewish women do it when they light the candles. Like, There's so many um, religions and cultures around the world that will actually put their hands on their face and cover their eyes, but the, their palm is touching the bones of their face. There's a reason for this. We don't actually know always what the reason is, but there's a reason. It feels good. It helps us balance our energy, and everything is about balance. So, so some things are really good for balancing tennis is really good for balancing. Well, that's a different kind of balance. And, that's a physical balance. Well, that's balance. what I want to talk about. I want to talk about because for older people like me, falling is no good. <laughs> falling, falling is not a good thing to do. Well, for anybody, a lot of yeah. people suffer from vertigo or so, maybe they're recuperating from an injury. You know? but, but a lot of the things that are really good for balance you need to see. <laughs> so I found ballroom basics for balance. That's like just movement. 
So now whenever there's like a good song on the radio, I can, you know, get up from the table or dry my hands from the dishes or whatever it is and dance in my kitchen. Oh, I love that. It's true. It activates so many muscles. And the more you keep your muscles engaged and activated, it's going to help with your balance. It helps stabilize you when you get off. If you like stumble or trip or somebody pushes you, it helps those muscles engage. So I love that you're doing ballroom basics for balance. That's fun to say. (laughs) (laughs) Trademark. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. I really appreciate it. And I, want, I always thank our guests. I want to say thank you to Rhonda Lee. And I will tell you now at the end of the episode why that feels silly is Rhonda Lee is my mother. <laughs> she is my mom. And she raised me as a single mom going through all of these challenges in her life. She inspires me every single day. Whenever I'm having a moment where I just think I can't do it anymore or I'm frustrated or I'm having like a little pity party, I think, uh, okay, look what your mom can do. Like, get over yourself and figure it out. You know, sometimes we need a little cry. Sometimes it's okay to wallow a little bit. But then you need to dust yourself off, pick yourself up, and move. Move forward, even little baby steps. Um, So thank you for sharing this Airways today with my mother. Thank you, Mom, for being on the show again. Oh, thank you for being my inspiration. (laughs) I, there's so many questions I'd love to ask you. Um, I'll definitely have you back on with other things. But today, I just thought it'd be really fun to share some of your poetry and a little bit about Charles Bonnet syndrome for anybody out there who knows somebody who has lost their vision, um, whether as a child or as an adult. It's just nice to know that they're, you're not alone. Um, there's a lot of resources out there as well. I will put some links to Council of the Blind. Um, because you found a lot of support by that. Is that correct? Like, there's a lot of resources out there, yeah, but unfortunately the, you have to the, dig. the one in Washington, D.C., the American Council of the Blind. They have, and, they have a lot of very valuable resources. And just my last comment on Charles Bonnet syndrome is a lot of people never report it because they think people will think they're crazy. You're not crazy. Exactly. <laughs> It's a real thing. And there's so many books on tape you can listen to for free through the, what is that? National Library Service for the Blind. Yeah, you can have them sent to your house, which is wonderful. Or download on your phone. And you shared your favorite biohack, yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Honestly, I noticed such a difference in you. Like your body looks amazing, of course, but it's really just that no matter when I talk to you, you smile. And you're cheerful. And I think it's because you start your day every day in a high vibration, but through yoga, which also has to do with breath. We've had shows on breath work and how important that is. Well, that's tied to yoga and then tapping and the, you know, uh, acupuncture points. You're doing that by touching your face. Like so many things you're doing that you incorporate into this yoga without even knowing it. Of course, you're going to be happy. You're raising your vibration every morning. (laughs) I have no excuse. So, all right. Well, do you have anything else to add? No, that was just the go ahead and, and experience it. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Rhonda Lee, for being a guest on You Lost Me at Namaste. I'm your host, Michelle Schoenfeld. Know that you're enough. You are worthy. You were born for a reason. And the universe needs your gifts. It really, really does. Every single one of you. So until next time, everyone, namaste. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Lost Me at Namaste. 
If you liked it or you like this podcast in general, please take a moment and share the love by dropping me a review, giving me a rating, or sharing it with your friends. The more love and light we can spread, the better our world will be. Thank you, and until next time, namaste.